Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits. We are in episode 50, and I want to draw from Isaiah 9 again, but today I'm going to be talking about the outstretched hand. And I want to carry it forward. In the last episode, we discussed at Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7, we talked about the coming promised one. But they're in the middle of judgment here, coming judgment. They're in the middle of being warned of impending judgment. That's where we are in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah tells them about the one that will come. But he also is addressing their current situation and all the troubles that they're having and trying to warn them. And we'll see why in just a moment. So in the rest of Isaiah 9, he's talking about this coming judgment and he's talking about their sins and why this judgment, this discipline, this correction from the Lord has to come. He explains what they've done wrong in all these different chapters. In all, I mean, in all these different verses, excuse me. And I want to pay attention to a verse that repeats itself three times in this chapter alone. And it's first found in verse 12, then again in verse 17, and then again in verse 21. And it says this, For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Now I want to focus on that. As the understanding of what we're really going for today, what we're really going to focus on today. But I want you to understand that that verse is in the midst of some very troubled situations. They have rebelled against the Lord. They're committing sin against the Lord. They're running in the wrong direction. They're going in the wrong way. They are on the wrong road. They have taken the Lord and the road that they were supposed to be on, and they took a detour somehow through sin, through deception, through rebellion, whatever. And they they are wandering now way off somewhere else, and they are lost. And so the Lord is telling them their problems. He's telling them why you're on, why you got off this road, the right road, and now you're on this other road, and it's going to lead you to destruction. But I want you to see a few things here. First of all, in verse 8 through 12, he identifies a lot of their problems in that particular passage. He uh, addresses their sin and their rebellion. And then he tells them, good news, there's good news for this. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Then he goes in verse 13 through 17, and he addresses here primarily... The leaders, he's primarily here addressing the problems with the leadership and them leading it astray, leading the people astray. I do want to read verse 13 because I think this hits a core of this whole passage and all of these verses, in a sense, um, have a foundational portion here that applies to them in each section. And it's this, verse 13. For the people do not turn to him who strikes them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. Now, what does this mean? 
He is telling them that I'm the one striking you with this judgment, with this discipline. I'm the good father. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one who's trying to correct my sheep. I'm trying to use the crook, so to speak, to pull you back into the fold, to pull you back from the fringes where you're out there wandering and you don't even know what you're doing. I'm trying to rescue you. I'm the one who's striking you, so to speak, with my rod or with my crook, like a shepherd might do, to goad you back, to turn you around, to turn you back to where you need to be. I want to just give you a brief illustration. I um, had to go uh, on a an excursion the other day to uh, an appointment that I had and I had never been to this place before and so you know like most of us we pull it up on GPS but I also had been given directions and landmarks and stuff like that from the people so I got over there just fine but when I went to leave I tried to follow the exact same route that I had followed on the way over there but somehow I don't even know how it happened. I got off somewhere else, and I was on some other road, and I never could figure my way around. So what did I do? I turned around and went back to the place that I knew, to the road that I knew. I just retraced my steps back and got back on a good path. And that is what the Lord is saying here. You're on the wrong road, you're going in the wrong direction, and you won't turn to me. I'm trying to use the crook and turn you around. I'm trying to tell you that you're on the wrong path. There there was something inside of me that the farther I went down that road, I was like, this is not familiar. I don't think I'm in the right place. And so I knew that I had to turn around to go back to the road that I was supposed to be on in the first place. And that's what the Lord is saying here, is that the the reason He will bring judgment, the reason He will bring correction and conviction to people is in the hopes that they will turn around and come to Him. That's what He's saying here. I'm striking you, but I'm striking you with this judgment, with this correction, in order to turn you back to Me, so that you will seek Me, so that you will return and get back on the right path. So He wants us to turn away from the wrong path that we're on and get back on the right road that he has for us that will lead us to him and to the good things that he has for us. He wants us to seek him. Part of that seeking was I had to go, I had to turn around and go back until I knew where I was and then I could go the way I needed to go. And he wants us to turn back and seek him so that we know how to get back on the right path and ensure that we are heading in the right direction. He speaks uh, clearly in Proverbs and in Hebrews chapter 12 and 13, 12 I believe it is, where he talks about the father and the correction of the fathers and how it's always for their good. You know, when you're training little children, I mean, a, a loving parent will not allow a little child to sit 
near a, a socket and, you know, play around with their toys and stick toys into an electrical socket. Nowadays, thank God, we have these socket cover things, you know, plastic things you pop in and that helps protect the children. But that wasn't always the case. And, you know, it's like when you're cooking or you're boiling water or something in the kitchen, you're not going to have your children coming in there with you. You know why? Because of the danger that it poses to them. And that's the loving God. He is sending these things to return them to him because he knows that if they keep going in the wrong direction, they're going to fail. They're going to be heading for destruction. And he loves them enough to try to turn them back to him hallelujah and he wants them to repent and return but instead of repenting and receiving god's correction and conviction they're digging their heels in and into their rebellion and their sin instead so he is addressing here in verse 13 through 17 primarily the religious leaders now why is that because religious, the, the leadership is always held to a higher standard because of their influence. Because a leader has the potential to influence many people to follow their example. And that's the way God designed it to be in the right way. Those that are truly his leaders that he has appointed but even they can fail. For instance, take Moses. Moses was the God-ordained leader for the children of Israel. He brought them out of Egypt, brought them across the Red Sea, led them through the wilderness, and was with them all those 40 years. But he still didn't get the final blessing of leading them into the promised land. And there was a reason for that. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 51. And we all think that it was because he struck the rock the second time. Yes, that was the actual act. But God got to the heart of the matter. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 51, he says, No, the heart of the matter is this. It wasn't just that you did that. It was that you were my representative to the people. And I had told you to strike the rock the one time, but to speak to the rock this time. And instead of obeying me in front of all the people, you struck the rock again. And you dishonored me in front of the people, leading them to think that they could dishonor me. It was because of your influence, Moses, that you couldn't go in because you dishonored me, which had the ability to lead many of the people looking to you to also dishonor me. So that's why God holds his leaders to a higher standard. As a matter of fact, if you look in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 6, Jesus is speaking about that again. He speaks first in verse 1 through 5 about the little children. They're asking him, okay, who's the greatest? So he pulls in little, a little child or little children, and he receives those. And he says in verse 5, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But then he says this in verse 6. 
he says this, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. The millstones were heavy stones that would be on the grinding mills and they would use those to grind their um, wheat and other things into flour. And so it was like a it was like we would say a concrete block or something. He says it'd be better if if a, a thing of concrete were strung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea and you sunk to the bottom and drowned. Jesus takes very seriously those who lead others. And he says, do not be one to lead even one astray. It's very serious business with the Lord, how we treat and how we use our influence. And this is true of every preacher, teacher, every servant of the Lord, every person. Every person is influencing someone. So the key is, how are we leading them? How are we influencing them? Are we pointing them to Jesus? Are we living a lifestyle that proves our faith and helps them to see a godly example that they can follow, that is a righteous example to follow? So the leadership is what he's speaking about here. But notice this. He says at the end of verse 17 again. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Then in the next section, 18 through 21, he's dealing there with more of the individual people. He's talking about just the common folk and the whole of the nation and all of the individuals in the country. And then he goes on and he says at the end of verse 21 again, even though he's listed out all of the sins for all of these different groups that he's addressing here, he says, for all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Now, even in the midst of judgment that was impending because they wouldn't repent, God is still calling them to repent. He's telling them, hey, there's, some, there's still good news. Because I'm still willing to receive you and forgive you and put you back on the right road. He is still willing to forgive and return us when we get off the right road. Now, that is not something that we can take advantage of and, you know, treat lightly. Absolutely not. God won't have that. But when we sincerely are lost, and we call out to him. He will receive us. He will forgive us. That is good news. And this outstretched hand, I want to end with this. His hand, literally the hand of the Almighty God in the person of Jesus Christ, was literally stretched out on the cross where he made one of his final calls, one of his final declarations, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He was willing even then to forgive 
all those who had crucified him. He's there in excruciating pain, asphyxiating to his death with, you know, hands, his hands nailed, his feet nailed, bleeding all over, crown of thorns dashed into his brain. Imagine, just imagine. And yet his hand was stretched out for you and for me because he's still wanting and willing to forgive and to take us off the wrong road and get us back on the right road. Oh, that's the beauty of the God of the Bible. That's the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of the good news of his life, death, and resurrection. You can come back to the Lord, for his hand is stretched out still. Oh, I hope this has been a blessing to you, and that if it has ministered to you, you will respond to him. Come back to him. Return to him and seek the Lord, because that's what he wants. He wants a relationship with you because of his great love for you. I pray this is blessing you and that you can join us again in future episodes of Bible Bites and Truth Tidbits. Excuse me. Both are good. Bible Bites was last year when we went through the scriptures verse by verse and chapter by chapter all through the book. And Truth Tidbits this year, we're letting the Lord lead us and speak what he would have. May you join us again for these future episodes. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.